Our text today comes from Hebrews chapter 12, continuing our study in the principles for parents that, uh, that I've called this. So let's hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers, human fathers, who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's give thanks together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would guide us into truth by your Holy Spirit. Father, please strengthen me that I might articulate these things clearly. Give us all clarity of thought. Deliver us from all error. Deliver us from everything that distracts, and, uh, and we pray that we would hear your word uh, purely today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. People of God, I am uh, so, so thankful for your prayers and for your support and for your um, uh, asking after me and, uh, and for everything. I, I believe I'm, uh, I'm at about 72% right now, and uh, maybe that's enough battery level to get us through uh, get us through this morning. I told the early service that if I fall over, just put me in the corner, just take up the offering, go on to the next thing in the liturgy, and, and we'll make it through the rest of the uh, morning. But otherwise, uh, I, think, I think we'll be fine. Disobedient, willful children have this amazing superpower. They can make everyone around them miserable, and they, they can make everyone around them want to get as far as possible away from them just by throwing a fit. They know that they have this power and they use it to get their way. We've all witnessed the stereotypical uh, toddler meltdown at the grocery store. Everyone in the entire store, no matter how large the uh, grocery store, you can hear their wails and their lamentations from the back to the front and uh, they make their presence known. It sets the whole store on edge Nobody's happy. Everyone is tense. You just want to get out of there as quickly as possible. You've seen it in the restaurant, the child who ought to be able to sit on their bottom and eat their chicken nuggets and their macaroni. They ought to be able to sit there pleasantly, but who suddenly believes that this is, this is the time to unleash all the demons from the pit, uh, from, the, from the bottomless pit and erupt in this unholy volcano of terror. This pleasant evening would just be just fine if I just erupted in terror. Or, or you've seen the child on the playground who just isn't going to get along with anybody, who shoves kids over, pushes, kicks, hits, spits. They, they generally behave like a 25-pound 25 25 uh, 25 sociopath on the, uh, on the playground. 
when, when such a demonstration takes place, when you see this happening and some precious angel baby suddenly grows fangs and horns and, uh, and Bobby's not here anymore, you know, that kind of uh, display, the first question that everyone in their right mind at the store or the restaurant asks, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, bitter-minded or foolish people. I'm talking about somebody in their right mind. The question they, they ask is not, how could you let this happen? We all know, we all know that children are prone to gross foolishness. We all know that children are prone to acting up and acting out. The question is not, how did you let this happen? What is the question? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about this? Are you going to let it go on? They've been in the restaurant banging their spoon on the table and keening at the top of their lungs for 10 minutes. Are you going to do anything? Are you going to do something about this? Uh, You think maybe now is when something ought to be done about this. Are you paying attention to your child? Who is the boss here? Is, Is anyone in charge is the question. In these meltdown moments, the most loving thing to do for the child, for yourself, for everyone else around, the most loving thing to do is for the little person to be removed with all haste from the situation that they're not thriving in and for some adjustment, some correction, some reset to take place. The child may need correction. They may need admonishment. They may be sick. They may be overly tired. Maybe you have not managed uh, their frame and their stamina. You haven't, you haven't considered wisely the, the day or maybe something has just gone sideways and they need, uh, they need uh, rest or they may be hungry or they may be thirsty. Or they may be so far out of it that they don't even know what they need. Little people at various times, they don't know what is required. They don't know what they uh, have to have to feel normal again. And so maybe all they need is, is comfort and attention and affection and love. There are so many evaluations that need to be made. But every single one of them falls squarely within the responsibility of the parent to tend to the little person who's losing their mind for whatever reason. It's never convenient. Never once when our children were little did we think, oh, we're at a good stopping point now to deal with this uh, little, little meltdown. It is never the easy thing to do, but we're called to do it every single time. My wife, I know at least once, if not more than once, had to leave a shopping cart full of groceries in the middle of the grocery store because the child needed attention and needed uh, the focus of the parent. The groceries, will go back and get them later. Maybe they'll be there when we go back, but the child needs the attention. We've left tables full of friends and tables full of food to go take care of our children. Parents are called to meet their children's needs, to oppose our children's folly, to oppose their sin and rebellion and willfulness. Not that we're, we're not being ruled by our children, but we are governing them. And in governing them, we teach them how to govern themselves. This is our duty. This is our responsibility as moms and dads to train our children in such a way that they are able to exercise self-control over their tongues, over their thoughts, 
over their actions and behaviors, they are not to be governed by their impulses. Children are not to be governed by their moods, their emotions, their sinful desires, but we give them guardrails and we train them to function as normal people within those restraints as is age appropriate, as they're able to do within the skills and the frame and the faculties that God has given them at every stage of the way. You know, there are so many beautiful things about childhood, and I don't hesitate to use the word magical. Childhood is magical, and it is joyful, and it is so delightful. There are so many purely delightful aspects to childhood. There are all these things that I really want to celebrate and enjoy but we want them to experience every, every wonder of being young, don't want to miss a thing, though every one of these beautiful experiences can be ruined when you have little people whose sin is not being restrained and who aren't being taught along the way how to be grateful, how to love your neighbor, how to love and obey mom and dad how to love and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have those, uh, those components, childhood is not magical. It is not delightful. It is not a wonder. It is a nightmare if you don't train them along the way. And the only place, the only place they're gonna get this correction is from mom and dad. They're not gonna get it anywhere else. You are God's emissary in their life to train them into adulthood and to train them into wisdom. So it is imperative from very early on, from a very early age, that we're actively, presently engaged in the training of our children. And I made this uh, caveat a couple of weeks ago. As we go into this and we're going through this uh, series on principles for parents, you may think, boy, I've done my job. I've raised my kids. I'm out. I'm, I'm done. I don't need any of this. Ab you're absolutely wrong. Uh, we are trying to build an environment here. We're trying to build a community of people who support each other in the training and raising of our children. So if you see a mom who's struggling or you see a dad who's having trouble, it's important that we're all speaking the same thing, that we're all thinking the same way and that we have a common vocabulary. So don't think this doesn't apply to you because it absolutely 100% does for all of us. And so it's, as I said, it's imperative that we're all actively, presently, physically engaged in the training of our children. And we're not simply allowing them to run free and feral, uh, hoping at some point, well, they'll just turn it all around. They'll just figure it out. They'll learn how to become decent human beings on their own. They won't. They won't figure it out somehow. All children require correction. And often that correction must come in the form of physical discipline. When words are ignored, when warnings are rejected, when commands are disobeyed, there must be physical consequences. Physical consequences at an age where they can understand clear commands. You know when your child understands no. And you know when they clearly violate the no. Uh, you may have uh, bookshelves and uh, things that you don't want torn up and, and uh, things that the little crawler doesn't need to get near. Baby, you don't need to go pull daddy's books off the shelf and start tearing them up. You have your own books. You have your own things, and you know where those are. So no, do not go that way. And then the little crawling child will turn over and, and look behind you and see if you're watching. They'll make eye contact. 
And they might even smirk a little bit. They might even say, what are you going to do, big boy? You're going to come over here and change this? You're going to do some about this? And they crawl right toward the bookshelf that you have clearly said, no, I do not want you pulling things off the bookshelf. And they go over there and they look at you before they do it. And then they start pulling the stuff off the shelf. You know, in that case, they know what they are doing. It is not a mystery. It is not some kind of, oh, they're just being cute. No, they are, they are actively defying what you have told them to do. And so when I talk about uh, correction, I'm talking about doing it at an age where they can understand clear commands and they know what they're doing. And that comes very, very early. Well, we aren't left to make any of this up as we go. We're not just, you know, left to try to figure this out on our own. We read Hebrews 12 just a few minutes ago, which gives us the Lord's perspective on fatherly care. <coughs> and his fatherly discipline. Because God is a faithful father, because he is a loving father, he corrects and he disciplines and he chastens his children. So if we are to likewise be faithful and godly, we follow his lead. And the first thing we find is that it is a loving father who chastens his sons. Verse six, for whom the Lord loves he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. You may have been exposed to the lie that parental discipline and correction are selfish, that, that it's, it comes out of this desire to conform your children to your image or you want to make them your little robots or you're trying to make your children into these little mind control slaves somehow. Why not just let your children be free? Why not just let them be who they are and express themselves? It's because who they are in themselves are morons. They, They are idiots. We don't want them to be themselves because who they are is not nice. It's not good. Uh, the, the way that you get monsters that no one wants to be around is to just let your children be free and not to, not to correct them. God says the loving father chastens his sons. God rebukes the folly of his sons and he rebukes their sin. He restrains their wickedness. He puts guardrails and roadblocks between them and their rebellious desires. God does this and God is a loving father. God does this because he loves. And it is sons who are the rightful recipients of chastening. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which we have all become partakers, then you're not illegitimate. Then you're illegitimate and not sons. You see, it's sons who receive chastening. Don't ever confuse discipline with punishment. Punishment is for the wicked. Punishment is for criminals. Uh, Punishment is repayment for an evil that can't be repaid any other way. Punishment is retribution. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about discipline. Discipline is corrective. It is restorative. Discipline, therefore, is a blessing. Discipline is an immense grace for sons. Here, I have an opportunity to adjust and grow and change. So uh, the goal is holiness in verse, in verse 9. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we much not more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his 
holiness. The goal of discipline, the goal of the chastising process is maturity and wisdom. Hey, I am the subject of discipline. Therefore, I must be a son. Therefore, I am going to learn obedience. I am going to learn how to grow and how to change. And I'm going to use this to to mature. Uh, But it is almost always painful. Verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's painful to be chastised. It is painful to be disciplined. And that is by design. Uh, When the Lord chastens us, that chastening is painful in that I have to learn how to say no to something that I want. I have to learn how to curb an appetite. I have to get rid of this thing that is causing me harm and turning my, way, uh, my heart away from the Lord and his righteousness. Discipline teaches us that sin has immediate and eternal consequences. So, so discipline and, and, and chastisement is momentarily painful, but in the long run yields the fruit of righteousness, what the author of Hebrews calls the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It's momentarily painful that gives us a lifetime of peace and fruitfulness and righteousness. Correction is painful for a moment, but it's liberating for a lifetime. Sin and rebellion is the opposite. Sin and rebellion are fun for a moment. It's, it's, it's joyful for just a second, but then you get a lifetime of slavery and darkness and pain. The loving father chooses correction and he does it for his son's healing. He knows that this momentary pain is good for him in the long run because he wants him to have joy and life and peace for the long haul. So we're going to do this this thing that hurts for a short time so that we can have healing. Verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. The goal of godly, fatherly discipline is not to dislocate. It's not to injure. It's not to harm. It's not to obliterate, but it's to bind up the wounds that sin has occurred. Son, your sins have hurt you. Your sins have scarred you. Your sins have cut you off from fellowship with God and with me and with your brothers and sisters. And I'm here to bind it up. I'm here to heal you, uh, to, to bind up the wounds that sin has incurred, to strengthen, to empower, to embolden, to encourage so that the son can walk in maturity and holiness. This is how the Bible speaks about fatherly discipline. This is how it speaks positively of fatherly correction. Now, what does the Bible say if you, uh, what happens if you avoid fatherly correction and discipline? What happens if you don't do it? What happens if we choose not to correct? Well, there are several things that the Bible says will happen. First of all, your child will become settled in evil attitudes and behaviors. If you choose not to correct, they will become settled in evil attitudes and behaviors. Proverbs 19.18 says, Chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. 
It's why you chasten when they're little. That's why, as I said a few weeks ago, you have the rules when they're babies. That's why the no's and the uh, don't touch that and don't do that. That's why those are there when they're small. It's because the concrete is still soft. We haven't, we haven't set it yet. When the conscience is still tender, when the heart is still soft, before hangups become habits, there's time to intervene and disrupt the bad habits that are forming. But if you ignore those opportunities, then they become skilled in disrespect. They, come, they become masters in ignoring your words. They develop a hardness towards you. And you get these defects of character that now are their identity. That's who they are. This is not just a flaw. This is, this is who they are now because they've been allowed to set. Fail to discipline your children and you get hard hearts. The word says, chasten your son while there is hope, while he's still soft, while, while you still have opportunity. Secondly, if you fail to correct and discipline, they will remain enslaved to foolishness. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. A child's factory setting is folly. They come out of the factory with all the switches flipped toward foolishness. Every single one of them is flipped toward foolishness. And you, as a parent, your job is to start flipping those switches to wisdom. And sometimes you got to flip them back and flip them back and flip them back. But you were striving to raise wise men and women. And, and the, the home is the arena where these things are practiced so that when you go out into public, these things can be applied. I, I don't understand this mentality that says, oh, you're fine, you're at home. It doesn't matter how you eat. It doesn't matter how you talk. It doesn't matter how you walk. It doesn't matter the volume of your voice. It doesn't matter any of these things. It doesn't matter. You're at home. It's okay. You're at home. How many of you have ever been on a sports team uh, where, where it's okay to mess up in practice because uh, you'll just get it figured out in the game. No, how you practice is how you play. How many of you have been uh, rehearsing an instrument or in a choir and you make mistakes and you think, ah, oh, it'll be fine. We'll get to the performance and it'll all work out. It doesn't. It doesn't work out. Uh, you, the, the mistakes you make in practice are the mistakes you're going to make in the, in the performance. And so what you learn at home, it's not fine to behave like a caveman at home. It's not okay to act that way at home. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it does matter how you sit and how you eat and, and what you do at home. If, if your child sits over the plate at home and shovels food into their mouth like a, like a crazed, you know, somebody who's been raised by wolves and there's this debris field of, 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 of spittle and, and, and crumbs and they're smacking and, and slurping and chewing with their mouth open, they're not going to suddenly act like Mary Poppins when you take them out to eat. It's not going to suddenly click and suddenly get fixed. How you, how you act at home is how you're going to act in public. And we're trying to raise kings and queens who know how to behave themselves and know how to function in, in wisdom and not folly. And if you put up with folly at home, you're going to get folly in public every single time. It doesn't, it doesn't change. You're not going to get it any other way, which means we have to train them out of folly into wisdom. And that often requires the use of the rod of discipline. 
And a parent who will say, you know, baby, I love you too much. I love you too much to leave you a fool. Foolishness is painful. Foolishness is expensive. The social cost of foolishness is so high that I don't want you to remain a fool. I want you to be the kind of person that, that people want in their company of friends and not somebody that everybody's going to avoid because you're such a fool. And so I'm going to physically prevent you from going there. Uh, so so we are, we're training, secondly, uh, we're training them so that they don't remain enslaved to foolishness. But if you don't train them, they will remain enslaved. Thirdly, if you fail to correct your child, your child will grow up to despise you. Ephesians 6.4 reads, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. See, the opposite of provoking your children to wrath is training and admonition. Uh, you, you may think that the cool parent, the one who lets everything go, the parent who's the most loved is the one who never demands anything, the one uh, who never asks of anything and never, never disciplines. You may think that's the, that's the beloved parent, but actually that's not true, is it? That's the parent who ends up being despised. I've heard so many adults say, I wish that my parents cared I wish that my parents cared where I was going, what I was doing, who I was with, what I was wearing. Failure to train your children provokes them to bitterness. They don't know who they are. They don't know how to be. They don't know what to say and what to do without your training. They don't know how to control themselves, how to conduct themselves. And that is a weariness to them. And they grow up not knowing who they are without your correction. If you fail to correct, your children will grow up to despise you, despise your lack of leadership, and despise your lack of care and love for them. Fourth, without admonition and correction, your child will grow up to be self-righteous and arrogant. Proverbs 30 says, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. You see, without you to oppose the lies of the devil, without you to oppose the lies of the world, they are left exposed, believing everything that is thrown at them, which is that they are the brightest and best and most amazing, precocious little thinkers that the world has ever seen, that they are smarter than their parents. Uh, you may have seen the, uh, the, the secret video that was going around this last week of a public school teacher, I think it was in the Northwest or somewhere, who, uh, who told her high school class, your parents are dumb. You are so much smarter than your parents. So I'm not making this up. I'm not, I'm not making a straw man here. The message is to your children, your parents really are stupid. And uh, you are way smarter than your parents. There's never been a more brilliant generation than you are. And you see, when you raise them and there's no voice in their life to counter that, they become quite intolerable. Uh, they, you, you can't explain into anything to them that they don't already know. You can't teach them anything. and They don't have time to listen. They know it all, except that they don't, and they're headed for destruction. Faithful parents train in humility, the humility that says, you may be bright, but wisdom meaning, means knowing that there are all kinds of areas that you are ignorant in. 
every time I learn something, I find that there's this whole world of knowledge that I have not begun to penetrate. Every time I learn something, I actually feel dumber because I see that there's, there's all kinds of questions I haven't asked and there are all kinds of things I haven't learned. Humility uh, comes with uh, wisdom in knowing that there are all these areas where you're ignorant and there are plenty. If you don't correct your children, though, they're going to grow up as these little uh, uh, precocious, uh, arrogant, uh, little smart alecks who think that they have everything figured out, and obviously they don't, and they're headed for destruction. Fifthly, refusal to discipline your children uh, will lead them to hell. And I, and I don't pull any punches on that because that's what the Bible says. Proverbs 23, do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. You may have thought, you know, I, I love my child way too much to correct him with a rod. How can I cause him pain? But the Bible says if you love him, you will correct him because properly applied Correction is efficacious. God uses all kinds of physical means to save us and to keep us alive. And the rod of correction is one that he has prescribed to deliver us from hell. I am a believer and I serve the Lord Jesus Christ because I have parents who put guardrails in my life, who corrected me with the rod and who directed me and my feet on the path of righteousness. God uses means. God uses physical means to guide us into life. You're designed in such a way that, you're, that your heart is molded and shaped by what happens to your body. Just a little while ago, we all knelt and prayed. You may not have felt very humble. You may not have felt like kneeling and praying. But you know what happens? When you get on your knees, it humbles your heart, doesn't it? It changes and transforms your heart. And you say, oh yeah, I do need to humble myself. I do need to confess my sins. When you shake someone's hand or embrace them, your heart is being affected. You're saying, yeah, I love this person and I need this person in my life. And so one way that you get to the heart of a child is through the seat of his pants. That's the way that God has designed it. You save his soul with the rod applied correctly. Now, I'm going to take a breath and say, it's possible that everything I've said so far has been fairly objectionable to you. And it sounds so stone age and it sounds so backwards that you think, how can you in 2021 talk about uh, the rod of discipline. How can you talk about how can you talk about spanking? And I completely sympathize if that is your perspective because we have seen so much poor, inconsistent, abusive use of the rod of discipline. If you've never seen it applied in the correct way, then you've got all kinds of assumptions about what I mean when I say the rod of discipline. You may think, well. Yeah, I know what that's like. I know what, I know what spankings are like. That's when mom and dad have had enough. They get fed up. They get angry. Veins are bulging out of their, their eye sockets and out of their forehead. And then they go and take it out on the kid. That's what spanking is. And the kid may or may not know what they're getting spanked for. And it just ruins the day. It just ruins everything. Uh, but you see, everything I described right there, uh, that really is hateful. And that really is destructive. And it's not at all restorative. The point of the use of the rod is training to quickly correct what is wrong and to get us back to fellowship. That is the point. That's why 
we need routines, we need liturgies, we need habits, so that we aren't just left flying off uh, by our anger, by our embarrassment, that when we use the rod, we are being guided by already established principles. And so I'm going to give you three principles that were taught to me by older and wiser men. I found a great deal of success with these, and they're helpful in maintaining order in my home as I've sought to be a faithful father. Three simple, uh, what I think are very simple principles. Number one, we must clearly and simply express our expectations and discipline consistently when there has been disobedience. I'm going to repeat that. We must clearly and simply express our expectations and discipline consistently when there's been disobedience. In order for me as a father to to faithfully exercise discipline, there must be a clear command that has been clearly violated. Now, there are a lot of times where we as parents, we may have expectations for our children that we have not articulated. We may have assumptions that we think they understand when the reality is we haven't done a good enough job of making the expectation clear or known. You may tell your four or five-year-old child, go in there and sweep the kitchen. Well, maybe they've seen you sweep. Maybe they know which end of the broom to hold. Maybe they don't. And so they're in there doing their best and they've never seen you do it or you've never instructed them or shown them. And then, and then you fly off the handle and you get hot around the collar and say, that's not how you do it. What are you doing? You never do Oh, they've never been shown. They've never been instructed. They don't know how to do it. This, we're talking about... Only disciplining when there are clear expectations and those expectations have been clearly violated. You see, uh, God, God's law is so clear and he's so simple. Uh, the Lord, when he established Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a whole garden of delights, a whole garden of yeses, things that they could eat. The whole thing was food for them, except there was one no right in the middle of it all. One no, and everything else was for their benefit and for their life. That's how God's law works. God's law is simple. God's law is clear. God's law is mostly negative. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. You see, when God says no, that leaves a whole realm of yeses. That leaves a whole world of yeses. And so uh, our laws, if we're going to be faithful, we're going to uh, set up standards in the home that are likewise simple and clear and mostly negative, that there are things you can't do this, you can't do this. Otherwise, this is, this is the whole world of, of yes and the whole world of, of you can do this. So we don't exasperate our children with confusing, arbitrary laws. Now, we, we keep these laws and these commands clear because sometimes children, as they get older, they can become pretty good lawyers who can argue into or out of situations demonstrating all kinds of nuances of gray areas that we may never have considered. Dad, you didn't think that when you told me not to ride the skateboard on the driveway because I might hit uh, and damage a car, that maybe I could get going so fast at the other end of the driveway that I could lose control and maybe just by accident, you know, the thing keeps going and then it hits the car and then what, what was I supposed to do, Dad? I'd, 
no, you just, uh, you're, you're adding all kinds of things that are not part of the deal. Uh, it's our job to cut through and declare with authority. I told you not to do this. You did this and this is what happened. And that's, we can do that with very clear commands. We can cut through the grayness and the nuance and all the stipulations by keeping our rules simple so that it is very obvious and very transparent when the command has been broken. You know that they know, they know that you know, and so that's the number one thing. Clearly and simply express your expectations. Secondly, the parent, when, when using discipline, the parent must maintain self-control way before it's time to apply correction. You have already decided the neutral tool, the number of, of spanks, and the appropriate area where the discipline is going to be applied. And I'm going to break that down in just a few minutes. Uh, but it, this is all part of your self-control as a parent. We do not ever spank because we're angry. We do not spank because we're fed up and can't take it anymore. We do not spank because we're embarrassed. If you are spanking because you are fed up, you are way too late and you've been way too lazy. You have allowed all these things to stack up. You've let all these offenses go unaddressed throughout the day or the, or the week and you have let this go on way too long. In fact, if you do that, you're the one who needs the spanking. You're the one who needs the correction because you've let it go on and on and on and on and you haven't done anything about it. Because many times uh, when these little things pile up, some of these earlier offenses may have been corrected with a warning. They may have been corrected with a stern word. Remember, daddy said, don't do that. Mommy said, you must not go there. You must not do that. But you've let it stack up throughout the day or throughout the week and you've let it get this far. Correction of our children is never about what we're feeling. That's it's absolutely never uh, the, the appropriate impetus for correction or discipline. It's never about letting my child know how upset I am. Uh, I'm going to spank you now because I need you to know how angry I am at this thing that you did. It's absolutely incorrect. Uh, or, or it's never about how embarrassed I am, how, how much you showed me up or how much uh, you embarrassed me in the grocery store or around my friends. You see, all of these things, when you get to this point, you are being governed by your emotions and you're not going to effectively help them govern theirs when you are consumed with your own emotions and now this is why we're getting to the discipline. You're being hypocritical. You're really being uh, uh, someone who needs correction. You need to repent of your laziness and of your failure to correct and discipline uh, as things happen, as things arise. Uh, physical discipline is only appropriate where there's been a clear violation of a standard and where the preservation of peace and order must be restored. And in that way, correction must be quick and sure and instant and obvious, but never out of your personal need to show how sick and tired you are, uh, how fed up you are, how embarrassed you are. That is absolutely out of bounds. That's absolutely inappropriate. You, mom and dad, you must maintain self-control. So in order to maintain self-control, there were some things that we settled way 
up front. You don't wait until you're in the middle of the meltdown to start determining, okay, what are we going to do? What's appropriate? How are we going to respond? No, you've, you've already made some decisions. Now, here I speak, and not the Lord, as, uh, as the Apostle Paul would say, but here's what was very helpful in our house. It was, we determined that there was never going to be any more than five wax on the bottom with a paddle. That was the maximum penalty in our house. Five strikes was reserved for the most egregious offenses. If you got five, you knew that you had received the maximum uh, sentence. But even that, that was extremely rare. But you see, predetermining that we were never going to go over five helped us maintain self-control. We also, I'd say, five strikes on the bottom, keeping it all focused on the bottom means that you're not going to strike them anywhere else. You're not going to hit them anywhere else out of frustration, out of anger, out of embarrassment because you're fed up. You see, God designed this perfect contact point for discipline. It's fleshy. There are no organs to damage. There are no bones to break. There's, there's no brains to damage, even though you may think your son keeps his brains there uh, for... <laughs> for a while. There's no, no brains to damage, but it perfectly, it perfectly conveys the pain of sin. Keep all of your discipline focused on that area. Please, will you listen to me? Please do not ever strike your child in the face. Please do not ever smack them in the mouth. Do not ever knock them in the head. Please do not ever punch them or shake them or, or spank any other part of the body. There is nothing correctional. There is nothing restorative about any of that. It is all humiliating. It is disgraceful. It is abusive. And it is unnecessary. It shows that you don't have good discipline if you do any of that. It shows that you need correction. Uh, not the child at that point. So we said five wax on the bottom with some kind of paddle. We used a uh, wooden mixing spoon uh, for most of the training years. Uh, it wasn't very flexible. It was pretty stiff. It's about, I don't know, six inches long. And it was easy to keep uh, one handy. My wife kept it in her back pocket for most of the years uh, between, you know, 2004 and, you know, 2011 or so. Um, so she could just, like an old, old West sheriff, she could just pull it right out. You know, it was just like a quick draw thing. And sometimes you feel like you got to use it all the time. Uh, but it's there. Uh, a, a tool like that is easier to control than your hand. Uh, it, is, it is very easy to control the velocity. It is easy con to control the force. Um, and, and you want to be in control. It's all about being in control. Those um, a little wooden spoon, it made a little pop. And you know what? One or two pops at a time is all that we needed to keep the peace of our home for many years. You know, it's, it's amazing what a little wooden spoon will do to keep the peace of your home and to train children and to raise them up in wisdom and to drive the folly out of them. Uh, when they came to outgrow the, the wooden mixing spoon, we used a, a wooden ruler uh, but all the other rules still applied. You use a rod of some kind because you want a neutral tool. 
Your hands are for affection. Your hands are for tenderness and provision. The Bible specifically talks about the rod as an instrument of correction. And so it seems wise that we had a tool set aside for that purpose, just so everyone is clear of what is happening when we have to bring out the rod. And there's a liturgy and there's a routine to it. And we all know what's going on here. And it's so that we as parents can maintain self-control. Uh, that we're not hitting them uh, with our hands. We're not, we're not going crazy. And so the third thing, the third principle was to go to a private place and to make peace. The purpose of discipline is not to publicly humiliate or make a public spectacle out of things, but to go quickly for you as the parent to state the offense, to make the correction and restore the relationship. Finding a private place may take some creativity. You may have to go to the car. You may have to go to a quiet room at somebody else's house. But this doesn't have to be a long, dragged out affair. You're only going to be there for a couple of minutes. You go find a spot and you authoritatively state the offense. Daddy told you not to spit food out at the table. You know we don't do this. We don't do it at home. We don't do it at our friend's house. I gave you a warning. I told you not to spit your food out at the table and you did it and you did it again and I must correct you. I don't have a choice. I have to raise you in wisdom. I have to correct you because we're not gonna behave this way. That's all that's needed. In fact, with a very small child, that's probably even more than what's needed. There are all kinds of uh, books and maybe, maybe you're sold out on some of this and that's, we can talk about it, but there are these books that encourage you to have these long heart-to-heart spiritual counseling sessions with your, with your child. And, and just how ridiculous is it to have a two or three-year-old and say, why did you do that? What were you wanting in your heart? Uh, what, what, what do you think God thinks of that? What, what idols were you setting up in your heart uh, when you spit food across the table? I never saw a great deal of value in any of that. And I don't think I've raised Pharisees. And you can come talk to me. If you think I've raised Pharisees, we can talk about that. But, but I didn't think any of that was necessary. Here's what's necessary. You sinned. You knew that you did the wrong thing, and now you need correction. I don't need you to be able to write me a Puritan treatise on the idols of the heart and the affections of the heart. I need you to have a quick justice of the pain of sin. I need you to feel that quick justice so that we can be restored, so that we can get on to enjoying the evening. So you state the offense, make the correction. One, two, three, little wax. Sometimes you don't even need the wax if you bring out the spoon and they start crying. I didn't mean to do it, daddy. I just feel so stupid. I'm sorry. And then you you say, absolutely, I forgive you. You restore the fellowship, but those little wax can get you a humbled heart that hours of counseling is not going to get you. That's what you're after, the humility, the heart change that comes through the, through the discipline. And then you restore the fellowship. You say, I love you. Are you sorry for disobeying me? Yes, daddy. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, I forgive you completely. We're going to pray. Father in heaven, please forgive uh, Bobby for what he did. Uh, Father, uh, restore us and make us really happy throughout the rest of the evening. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're going to now we're going to say, we're not going to do it again, are we? No, Daddy, we're not going to do it again. Now we're going to go back to the table. We're going to go back to the dinner table. We're going to have fun, okay? Are we going to be happy? We better be happy. You're going to be happy? I'm going to be happy. You better be happy. I'm going to make you happy. 
and you tickle them and you get in those ribs and you hug them and you kiss them. And the whole point is restoration of the fellowship as quickly as possible. You don't drag it out. You don't make it miserable for everybody. I've seen so many uh, times where parents want to demonstrate how angry they are at the failure of their children. And they drag this boo-hooing baby back to the table. (laughs) And everybody's upset and everybody's nervous and everybody's awkward. Well, don't, don't drag it out. Don't make it miserable for everybody. Sometimes they mean, need some time for the storm clouds to, to clear. Sometimes they may, may need a little time to, to, for the sunshine to come out. And that's okay. Now, there's, you don't put up with angry crying at this point. That becomes a new cause of discipline. You don't put up with angry crying. But, but, if, but if they need a little time for the sun to come out and for the storm clouds to clear, okay, well, I'm going back to the table. You're going to sit here until you're happy. We want you to be happy. We want you to come back and eat with us. Uh, we, we want you back, but you sit here until you're happy uh, and, and you let them get, get restored. This principle of quick correction and quick restoration is based in how the Lord treats us. This is all gospel. This is all about the gospel. Remember, we're always preaching theology with our behaviors toward our children. And the Lord is quick to hear and quick to forgive. And the Lord wants to throw our sins behind behind his back. So we never teach our children purgatory by our actions. I'm afraid so much of what grounding is and what timeout is and what sending them to their room with no purpose or direction, that's all purgatory. That's all, you know, go figure this out on your own. I'm mad as a parent and I'm going to stay mad until I get over it. And you stay twisting in the wind, wondering if I might accept your apology or I might forgive or you might do enough good deeds to earn my good favor to outweigh your bad deeds. That's all bad theology. That's all terrible. The path to restoration and forgiveness must always be as clear as the Lord is with us. And when we confess our sins, there is immediate forgiveness with the Lord. There is immediate restoration. And so it must be with our children. That's the whole goal of discipline. That's the whole goal of correction is to get them to forgiveness, to get them to restoration. I sinned. I confess it. I need restoration. Amen. Let's get back to dinner. Let's get back to the joy. And so uh, that is the gospel. That's the way uh, our Lord treats us. And that must be how we treat our children. Well, very quickly, the older they get, the less simple the discipline part becomes. After about 11 years old or 12 years old at the latest, spanking becomes less effective and it also becomes less necessary. If you applied spanking throughout the early years and throughout the uh, childhood years, if you did it consistently, you should rarely, if ever, have to spank a 12-year-old if you've done your job. Remember this paradigm from a couple of weeks ago that we're transitioning here from priesthood to kingship. And there are other forms of discipline that come when you're training in wisdom when you're dealing with kings. Still, you pull them aside, you, you explain clearly what they did, but you don't spank. You say, you're foolish with your time, with your resources, you're foolish with your good gifts, you disobeyed me. So maybe this thing is such a distraction that it needs to go away because you can't be trusted to exercise wisdom with this. So the iPod or the phone or the, or the, or the video game or the whatever, that's going to go away for a while. I love you, 
we're in fellowship. You and I are fine with each other, but you're going to fast from this thing. It's going to go away until you can exercise wisdom like a king. Um, that's just one example. This is, this is a full-time job. There is no substitute for parents who are actively engaged in the training and discipline of their children. There's no alternative plan somewhere that's somehow a clever shortcut to raising kids into functional, mature, holy adulthood. There is only God's way, and that's the principle of a father who corrects and whose correction brings momentary pain so that there can be a lifetime of joy. And may it be in our homes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our children. Please, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might be faithful moms and dads toward them, raising them as you have nurtured us as our Father. So, so we pray that you would give us indeed this strength. In Jesus' name, amen.